Hallelujah. Now, as Christians, we should be effective. And one of the things that make us effective is the fact that when we speak, we have power and we have authority of the Holy Spirit in our lives. So every single one of us carries an authority that the world don't carry. Okay? And that authority comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. So our words, although we, we speak with human tongue, we carry authority in it, so that that authority cuts to the quick in people's lives. And one of the things that really will equip us and cause us to grow in our authority is our prayer life. Okay, our prayer life. And uh, there's loads of different aspects of prayer and topics and subtopics of prayer. But I'm just going to share for the next few weeks on the most common one, I would say the most common, and that's the Lord's Prayer. The Lord's Prayer, which really should be maybe called the Disciples' Prayer, because it was the disciples who said, Lord, teach us how to pray. And so he taught them and went through a method. But I want us to look a bit closer to the Lord's Prayer, because so often it's said, it's recited, it's just a religious jargon at the end of the day. You know, so many organisations and churches and people recite the Lord's Prayer, our Father and art in heaven, hello be the name of the if they're lucky to get to the end. But in actual fact, if you understand the Lord's Prayer, it can radically change your prayer life. Amen? And if there's one thing I want is a powerful prayer life because I want things to happen. I want my wife to be healed. I want the church to grow. I want uh, uh, so many of you, your lives to change, your families to get uh, saved, so on and so forth. And that all begins in prayer. But if our prayer is powerless, well then we're a bit stuck. And so when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he was giving them a guideline, he was giving them a model. He wasn't saying every time you pray you must recite these words in that aspect. Okay? But if we can really understand the Lord's Prayer or the disciples' prayer, we can move into a new level of power in our lives and praying for our children, for their friends, for our government, all sorts of things. I don't want to waste my time babbling on, praying to God if it's not going to do anything. I want my prayers to be effective. And Scripture says the prayer of a righteous man are powerful and effective. Amen? So I want people to pray with power and we want those prayers to be effective because we want them to affect, affect people's lives. So, Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 says this, One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, and I'm going to come back to that. So they said to him, teach us to pray. They asked Jesus to teach them to pray. Now they would have been very conscious of prayer anyway through going to the temple. 
the, 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 the chief priests and the rabbis would have been praying all the time. But there was something about the way John the Baptist and Jesus was praying that they actually said, hang on a minute, we need to pray like you're praying. We've been to the synagogue, we've been to the temple, we've been to our meetings, we've been exposed to religion, and the prayers that are going on are not full of power. But they saw when Jesus prayed, when John the Baptist prayed, there was power and there was authority in the prayer. Isn't that wonderful? So they look immediately and they say, teach us. We want to learn how to do this. They never said, teach us how to cast out demons. Not, well, not in this instance. They didn't say, teach us how to raise the dead. They didn't say, teach us how to evangelize. But they said, teach us how to pray. Because they were seeing the results of Jesus' and John's prayer life. Amen? And sometimes when you see people move in mighty ministries, you think, what must their prayer life be like? And sometimes we can think they're on their knees for hours and hours and hours. Not always the case. Not always the case. It's not how long we pray. It's number one, who we pray to. Number two, what we're praying and why we're praying it. Matthew 6 and verse 5. Matthew 6 verse 5. Now Jesus had just given the Sermon on the Mount and he carry on, carries on here and he says, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to the Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And, when you. and when you pray, do not keep babbling on like the pagans, for they think for their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows your needs before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. So Jesus' response first of all, is to tell people how not to pray. Instead of just going straight into telling them how to pray, the first thing he says is, well, if you want to learn about prayer, this is how you don't do it. Because it's very easy to copy other people and other people's prayer life or preaching style or whatever it is. And I meet so many people that have preaching styles of T.D. Jakes or this, that and the other, or Benny Hinn, pick them up, put them down, put them down, pick them up, or, you know, all this sort of thing. But when you meet them, that's not who they are. They're not like that. And you think they seem to get behind a pulpit and then put on something that's not them. And the same can happen in prayer. But prayer is intimate and it's between you and the Father. What is prayer? Conversation. That's all it is. Conversation. That's what prayer is. Imagine being in a relationship where there was no conversation. By default, you would probably say, well, there's not a relationship there. Why? Because we never talk. How does that reflect then with you and the Lord? Do you never talk? It can really make you think to the, the level of our relationship. And so, 
Prayer is an intimate thing. It's not necessarily a religious action. Worship being seen as a religious action. Prayer see, being seen as a religious action. Community, uh, communion being seen as a religious action. They are all personal things between you and the Lord in reality. If people are just going through them and it's not personal, they've become religious and they're probably not even saved. Just reciting the Lord's Prayer it doesn't mean you've got saved. Just uh, going to church or taking communion, whatever, that's, they're all overflows of the Christian activity that we're told about. But salvation is relationship between you and the Lord. So it's amazing, I find it amazing how the first port of call is, don't do this. And so many people want to do things to be seen to do it, to be seen to do it, doing it, but they wouldn't do that off their own back where nobody knows. So many people think serving God is about standing behind a pulpit, and they think that's serving God. Well, serving God starts in the broom cupboard. The broom cupboard is just as important as the pulpit. There's not one greater than the other. Amen? So first of all, Jesus is trying to educate them and get rid of some religious ideas that they've got. And sometimes we need to deprogram ourselves. We need to put aside and say, look, I'm laying that down and I'm just saying, Lord, I want a fresh view. I want a fresh start. I want to look properly. You know, rather than just adding to what was already there, Jesus was saying, look, remove that first. It's a bit like you might be a great artist, but if you keep painting on the same piece of paper, it's just going to end up a horrible mess. Each painting has to be on a fresh surface so that it can be uh, really valued. So number one, we see it hits motive. What is your motive? And he says, your reward will be, you've already received your reward, being seen. That's all your motive was about, really. It wasn't genuine. And he deals with motive. What is our motive like? Then he deals with repetitive words, praying the same thing, and that's what Christians do. If you take a prayer, a simple prayer, like, I don't know, uh, Lord, we want a new house. That's it. But what Christians do, they say, Lord, we want a new house. Lord, you, need, you know we need a new house. Lord, a house would be good. A house with garden. Lord, a house would be good. Lord, you know what we're asking for and you didn't want us to be homeless, Lord, and you'll give us a house, Lord, and a house, a house with a roof, Lord. And that's what we want, a house with a roof and a door. And all you're doing is asking for the same thing 10 different ways. We're babbling on now, you know? We're just trying to bend the arm of God by asking him in as many different ways as possible for the same thing. And it's a bit, it would be like asking your children or asking your wife something, you know, oh, uh, can you make fish and chips for dinner tonight? Yes or no? No. Oh, yes, brilliant. 
But what they're doing, they said, oh, could you make fish and chips for dinner tonight? But if that wouldn't be possible, and it's not quite in your will, could you make chips and fish for dinner tonight instead? Because I would be willing to compromise. And if that's not in your will, Lord, Lord you know those vegetables that grow under the ground, and you know those things that swim in the river? That, well, if you put them two together, that would be adequate as well, because I'm not fussy. But you know, if you couldn't do that, I would be satisfied with a frozen copy... Can you imagine? God must sit there and go, what's wrong with them? They're babbling on. And this was the problem. The, the, the Jews were just babbling on religiously, asking for the same thing in a hundred different ways to try and bend the ear of God to give them what they wanted. And he says, don't babble on like pagans do. And he puts a bit of power behind it. Don't babble on like the pagans. That's the unbelievers. That's the heathens. That's what they do when they worship their gods. They babble on and on and on, worshipping their gods, asking their idols. And he says, don't be like that with me. Just be real. Just be real. What do you want? You know? It's my, oh, Caleb comes up in most of my sermons. Me and Luke must make each other a week, probably... 25, 30 cups of tea. We both love our cups of tea. You know, Mara doesn't drink tea, nor does Caleb. Sometimes Caleb will walk in the room and he's got a cup of tea for me. My response is always, what do you want? What do you want? Oh, no, no, I was just making it, but, uh, well, since you've asked, actually, uh, I was going to ask you if I could have a lift to so-and-so, or whatever it is. You know, yeah. And so, sometimes we can be like that. That's the sort of things that we do. And we babble on and on and on and on and on. Long prayers. Now, if you're an intercessor and you've got a prayer life, that's fine and that's your calling, wonderful. But long prayers to try and bend God's ear or persuade him. Praying the same thing in different ways, as I said. But remember, God knows our hearts and he knows your prayer request before you asked it. You know? And we need to be real. Our relationship with God has got to be real. It's got to be reverent, but it's got to be real. Some people repeat prayers over and over again, uh, important prayers uh, uh, in different ways and so on and so forth, to try in the hope that God will fulfill their prayer request. And they think, oh, because I'm not praying it right, God's not going to do it. You know, how mean would that be if I had a child and because they didn't use uh, articulate and ask the correct word exactly, well, because of that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to say, well, you can't have it. You didn't, you didn't say it was a CPU, central processing unit or whatever it is of a computer, CPU. You didn't say that. You didn't ask for that. So now I'm not going to get you it. Yes, I knew what you meant. What would that be like? If you think, what a rotter. How horrible. God's not like that. Just because you didn't say it the right way, that means he looks at your heart and your motive. If your heart was right, then it's fine. But sometimes we can get caught up and we can become religiously thinking, 
that we've got to say things in a certain way. So there we see Jesus deals with things before he even deals with how to pray, he deals with how not to pray. He says, leave your religion at the door. Get into relationship. I know your heart. Don't babble on. Don't try and twist my ear. Just be realistic with me. And I love that about the Lord. Matthew 6, verse 9. Our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, isn't that amazing? Jesus' conference teach on prayer is less than 20 seconds. That's it. You can book up and go away on a prayer retreat for two or three weeks at a time and be filled with all this stuff. Jesus does it in 20 seconds and he don't charge him a penny. Isn't it wonderful? That's what he does. And he keeps it simple and sometimes we make things so complicated and complex. Oh, well, if you haven't prayed this prayer in a certain way, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Jesus said, I love you like you're my children. You haven't got to be a, a philosopher. You haven't got to be a scientist. You haven't got to have a PhD in theology to, to be able to receive my love for you. He meets us where we're at. And he says, well, I know what you mean, even if you don't. And then to top it, to top it off, he says, and if you don't even get your words right and know what you mean, guess what? The Holy Spirit's going to intercede on your behalf. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't it simple? And yet sometimes we really scratch in our head, am I praying this right? Am I doing it the right way? Did I say the right thing? Did I, you know? What if I said the prayer of salvation wrong and then when I get to heaven I can't get in because I said the prayer wrong? See, I used the old King James when I should have used the NIV. I'm knackered now, you know? Wouldn't it be? We're laughing because it's crazy. God looks at your heart, amen? And he looks at our motives. And Jesus teaches them how to pray. Now, we've seen the first port of call was what not to do. So over the next few weeks, years, months, whatever, we're going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer. So we're going to, the trouble is you can't go very far into the Lord's Prayer before you get tripped up. You get tripped up very quickly with the Lord's Prayer in this. The first line, it says, our Jesus teaching them how to pray. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven. Well, straight away, we're stuck now, aren't we? See, the Jews couldn't relate to God as a father. Creator, yes. Father Abraham, yes. But not Father God. That was a different kettle of fish. That was slightly different. And yet Jesus refers to them and he said, when you pray, this is how you pray. And he never said, my father. He said, our father. And it's the first port of call. So the first port of call is, who are we praying to? Jesus addresses the prayer to God the Father. That's what he does. Who are we praying to? Now, some of us might pray 
to the Holy Spirit or to Jesus, but predominantly our prayer life should be focused to God the Father. In the name of the Son, empowered by the Spirit. And we need to recognise who we're praying to. He is the creator of all the universe. He sustains everything. Just by the power of his word, all things came together. And yet, is a personal daddy. is a personal father to you. How can he be beyond human comprehension and yet so personal? So distant in majesty and glory, but yet so close in relationship. And it's hard for us finite beings to get our head around that. Even the ancient Jews would not address God as the Father, but rather as Sovereign Lord. Yet he was still their father because he had made them and he related, he relates to each of us as a father. There's a saying, anyone can be a biological father and make a baby, but only a special person can be a dad. Amen? Only a special person can be a dad. And God the Father is a dad and he wants that father-son, father-daughter relationship with us. But a lot of us might have had bad relationships with our, our fathers, so it's stained how we see men or fathers. Some of us have had fantastic relationships with our fathers, but it will still feel, fall short in comparing that to our Heavenly Father. And so we have to understand, Jesus said, our father, we have to understand who he was talking about or what kind of relationship did he have that he could go into the father and pray the way he did. It is a, a, a privilege to address God Almighty as a father. Most religions in the world address their gods under certain deity names, but our God just says, call me dad. He just loved that. And there are no other gods, by the way. There are no other gods. But he just, the, 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 the mighty one, the ruler of the universe, he flung the stars into space with his fingertips. He said, can you measure the waters of the sea? Wow. What is man but, but a mist in his presence? Wow. This mighty God. And they say, Lord, what, what's your name? And he says, just call me Dad. Oh, I love it. Isn't it wonderful? Wonderful. John 1, 12 and 13. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or the will of a husband, but born of God. Hallelujah. If you've ever doubted your relationship with the Lord in that respect, born of God, children of God. See, know who you are, know who your dad is, 
you know? When I was a kid, and you, I've shared this before, but you play on the playground or out in the streets and you get into your arguments and a little bit of strife going on and it comes out, well, my dad's bigger than your dad, you know? And I used to do it and say, no, 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 my dad really, really, really is bigger than your dad because my dad was six foot nine and 27 stone. It was a man mountain. And so when I used to say, my dad's bigger than your dad, I said it with such conviction. You know, they would say, well, my dad's bigger than your dad. Trust me on this one. My dad is bigger than yours. All right. And that's how God wants us to be with him. He is our heavenly father. And my dad's bigger than your problem. My dad's bigger than the illness. My dad's bigger than what I'm facing. My dad's bigger than your dad. Amen. And he loves us and he wants to answer our prayer. My dad's bigger than what I face. That's what David, David didn't see Goliath, he saw his dad. He looked at Goliath and went, Midget, have you seen the size of my father? You send a midget out to face me and blaspheme the armies of the living God? I'll chop your ruddy head off and I'll give it to the birds of the air. That's what he does. Why? Because my dad's bigger than your dad. So with the Lord's Prayer, see, who are you praying to? I'm praying to you, Father, Heavenly Father. You know, is it just some sort of religious kind of deity? Are you praying to your dad? You're asking your dad, you know? Sometimes you, you weigh up when you're a child who to ask in the family. I can ask dad certain things and get away with it. I can ask mum certain things and get away with it, you know? So there were some things I would go to my mum. I wouldn't ask my dad, I'd go to my mum. Why? Because I knew she'd give it to me. I'm not stupid. There were other things I'd go and ask my dad because I knew I was far more likely to get it from him. But then they started this new rule. My dad started this new foreign language in our house. And he started off like this. Out of nowhere, it came from nowhere. And it was... What did your mother say? <laughs> no, no, come on, that's not fair. What do you mean, what did your mother say? Because he knew I'd already asked her and she said no. And if he said yes, he'd be in as big a trouble as what I'd be. So he said, what did your mother say? If your mother said it's all right, then it's all right. But if your mother said no, I ain't risking my life for you, son. <laughs> Romans 8, 15. The spirit you received did not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Which means, Daddy. Amen? It means, Daddy. Through the sonship, through the relationship of Jesus Christ, we have been taken out of slavery and fear and rejection and we've been put into, adopted into sonship. See, when you're adopted, you get certain rights. If you're fostered, you don't get those rights. But if you're adopted, you get rights. You get inheritance rights. You get the right of the name. You get lots of different rights. And here it says, adopted to sonship. Wow. 
through Christ Jesus. Amen? So we pray, our Father, we are his children, and we've got to allow him to father us. Sometimes we want to do it all ourselves, you know? want to solve the problem. If I read the scripture this way, recite it ten times, backwards, forwards, every day, in the morning, in the afternoon. Do you know what? That, that is just nonsense stuff. Just go ask Dad. Just ask Dad. Reciting something is not necessarily going to bring you the answer. Ask Dad. With a genuine heart, believing that if he wills it, he'll do it. Amen? By calling him Father, we're coming into a place of intimacy with him. He is God over everything, over the whole world. He is God. Uh, Proverbs 24, uh, no, Psalm 24 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything belongs to the Lord. Everything, there's not anything that exists that doesn't belong to the Lord. It's all His. And so we can come to Him with authority, but we can come personally to Him. We're to acknowledge Him as Father. That we've been adopted through Jesus Christ's death, resurrection, uh, death, burial and resurrection. God the Father is a Redeemer. He's a restorer. God has a plan. And a part of that plan was that Jesus would die and take our place of suffering so that we could relate to him as Father. Even with that, he says, I'm not going to make you pay the price for your own sonship. You haven't got to earn it. You know, when you're kids, uh, you're young and you want pocket money, what do your parents do? They give you chores. You've got to earn it. And I'm not against that, by the way. All little children, put, cover your ears up now, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. I'm not against that, but guess what? God doesn't do that as a father. He doesn't say, oh, you've got to earn the blessings. You've got to earn, now you're a son or daughter. I can bless you, but you've got to do something for me first. God doesn't do that. He loves us. Freely, freely you have received. Freely, freely give. Freely you've received. Freely give. What a wonderful God we have. Galatians 1, verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God our Father. Amen? So God has rescued us from the present evil age. He's done it. He sent his son to the cross. He devised a plan to rescue each one of us and those who are yet to come to know him according to the will of God the Father. That's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said if there's another way, if there's any other option, but your will be done. And he surrendered to the will of God. And if he hadn't, we would be in trouble. But he surrendered to the will of God. You've got to sometimes really marvel and get your head round 
the fact that our salvation is a byproduct, it's not the product. The product, as it were, is God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, and their relationship that God sent Jesus and Jesus in obedience came and forsaked his own will and because of that the byproduct was salvation for humanity. Wow. But the cross was a place of obedience and a place of love. Love and obedience mingled together. As we acknowledge God in praying, we're, we're praying in the name of Jesus. We dealt with this before. Why? Because that's the, we, we're representing Jesus' will. You know? And when they used to announce things in ancient times, they'd read out a new edit or law, and then they'd say, in the name of the king. And that would bring the authority to say, this is the will of the king. This is the will of the king. And they would read out the decree. And when we pray, we, we end normally by saying, in the name of Jesus, according to his will, with his authority. John 14, 6 says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And again, we see Jesus' authority. You can't get to the Father unless you go through the Son. You're never going to get to the Father. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. The redeeming sacrifice of Christ Jesus gives you entry. It says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? And verse 9 says, Anyone who has sinned me has sinned the Father. Wonderful. Some of us can relate easier to Jesus than we can God the Father because of our earthly experiences, you know? And we, we kind of just find that a bit easier. But it's important that we relate to the Father. And sometimes we need to ask God. If we're not confident of God's love for us, sometimes we need to ask. And you, that almost sounds like blasphemy. After he sent his son to die on a cross for you, You've got the audacity to stand there and say, I'm not sure he loves me. You know what I mean? It almost sounds blasphemous. But even that, he knows our broken humanity. And even in that, he says, you know what? It's all right. It's all right. I understand. I know your hurt, your pain, your disappointment. I know the letdowns. I know the unfaithfulness that you've encountered by people in your life. I know that they said they would be there and they weren't, and that's even the Christians. I know, and I, I'm there. I'm there. And sometimes we say, Lord, show me that you love me. And again, we can say, well, is, isn't that a little bit, you know, wrong? No. No, it's not wrong. Sometimes we need to be able to focus and we need to feel the love of God in our lives and our heart. We need that intimacy. And something that brings intimacy is worship and prayer. Worship and prayer. And it brings intimacy and closeness in our relationship. 
And it's not that God suddenly listens and then says, oh, snuggle up to them a bit more and comes down, because he's already there. It's actually that we get a revelation and we snuggle up a little bit more, you know? Sometimes I'm sitting on the sofa, I'm watching the TV, and Luke, although he's 24, will, will come along, he's like a cat. He sort of walks across the room in this cat-like pose, and then he just lift my arm up and snuggle his face underneath and put my arm around his neck. It was lovely when he was six, but now he's got a beard and it really itches <laughs> me arm. But he still does it, you know? But the truth is, God is a perfect God. He's a perfect Father. He is ever-present. Isaiah 49.15 says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she bore? Though she may forget, I will not forget you, says the Lord. Hallelujah. He's not forgotten you. You're not going to be left on a shelf to gather dust. It's just not going to happen. He loves you too much. The question is, will you do what he wants you to do? That's the question. Some people will be on a shelf for years because they choose to stay on the shelf because it's safe. It's safe. At least on the shelf, I've only got dust. If I get off the shelf, I might get cracked. I might get damaged. I might get ripped off. I might get let down. I might be misunderstood. I might be rejected. I'll stay on the, I'll stay on the shelf. I can spectate and see everything going on. But that's like having all the wonderful skills of a football player and never getting on the pitch. He's never fulfilling his destiny. His destiny is not to sit on the bench, to be on the pitch. We cannot play safe in our relationship with God because we're already safe in it. We're safe in our relationship with God. God the Father is not a strict judge. Sometimes we feel, you know, if you're like me, sometimes I pray and I need to pray about something. Now, in one sense, this is okay. We say, oh, Lord, I need to pray about something. Oh, please forgive me for this. Forgive me for that. I had a bad attitude yesterday. Oh, forgive me for that. Oh, forgive me for this. And we're trying to cleanse ourselves before we go in because if I miss something, well, what if he holds that against me and he won't grant my prayer request because yesterday I, I, I was speeding on the way home or whatever it was I did. And we're trying to qualify ourselves for something Christ has already qualified you for. We're trying to get ourselves forgiven for that we've already been forgiven for. Once and for all, he made an offering that would last forever. And so we're kind of going into that, trying to get ourselves ready. It's not like cliche. You know, try and look your best, you know. But it's not stupid. You know, he knows that you've got a dirty face and dirty behind the ears. You didn't wash under your armpit. Your shoes are dirty and you've been wearing them socks for three days. He knows. We think we can kid him. But because of the blood of Jesus, when you walk in, he looks, ah, ah, he nudges the onion. Look, 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 they're coming in. Look, they're coming. He loves us, even with our smelly socks. Now, it would be nice if you changed them. But even with them, 
Why? Because our greatest works were as filthy rags. Our greatest works, the best way you could ever prepare yourself religiously and I've not got a sin in my life and I'm so pure and holy. Nobody touch me. Don't come near me. Don't even talk to me because right now I am so holy and sanctified and I'm preparing to meet with the Lord and if you talk to me, you might just annoy me and blow the lot. You know, so nobody, don't come near me until after I've been to be with the Lord and then you can come and annoy, uh, talk to me. You know, but it's not like that with the Lord. He loves us and he accepted us since Calvary. Since Calvary, every saint has had the right to walk into the throne room and say, Father, I've arrived. Amen? With the confidence that we're loved and we're accepted. Jesus said, our Father. I believe that's because he was emphasising we're a family. He didn't say, your father, and he didn't say, my father, he said, our father. When my mum and dad used to vow, it was so funny because they'd changed the prefix. My mum would tell your father. The only time he was my father was in they had a vow. So you knew they'd had a vow. My dad would come and say, where's your mother? Normally, he'd just say, come and say, where's mum? But because they'd had a where's your mother? Oh, we all change it, become very official. And at that point, you're thinking, how can I get out of the house for a few hours? I need to get out. I don't want to get drawn into this. But it was your father, your mother, you know? But with Jesus, with God, it's never like that. And he says, our father, why? Because he includes and he interweaves each one of us together. This is how you pray, you disciples, this is how you pray. Our Father. Wonderful. See, when the religious leaders come to him, they said, what's the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and love your brother as yourself. And he did the same thing, and he emphasises that a relationship with Jesus is not just horizontal, uh, vertical between man and God, that is an incomplete cross if it's just between man and God. The cross is like that. It's between man and God and man to man. That's the cross of Jesus Christ. That's Christianity. That's the risen Lord Jesus. Wonderful. Our Father who art in heaven, that helps us have the right attitude to God. Yes, he's close. Yes, he loves us. But we must still revere him. Be reverent in our prayer. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 2. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 2. It says, do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. It doesn't say, oh, to get this prayer request, you must recite the whole uh, five books of the law first. It doesn't say that. It said, guess what? Here's a heads up for you. Let your words be few. I've tried that with Mara. If you want to talk to me, love, 
You're in the bathroom and I'm in the lounge. All right? So let your words be few. Just tell, I'm terrible. Sometimes you tell me something. Is this the short version or the long version? If it's the long one, could you possibly turn it into a short one by any chance? It would be nice. I'm terrible, aren't I? Especially if it's a repeat. If it's on repeat, she's telling me the same thing again. So let your words be few. God is in heaven. He is in control. It reminds us of his sovereignty. With fear and trembling, we work out our salvation. We have to get the balance in our boldness and intimacy with God coupled with our reverence and majesty of God. Amen? And so often in our prayer life, we're not asking God, we're ordering God. We're not actually asking him. You will do this. You will clear my bank balance because you own a thousand hillside on a, a cattle on a thousand hillside. Blah, blah, blah. So therefore, Lord, you will do this. It's not a prayer, that's an order. You're ordering God. We need to be careful. We need to remember, you don't go into heaven kicking the doors down. All right, geezer, how you doing? Thought I'd pop up, see you for a bit, have a bit of a bish bash bosh, bit of a chat. How you doing? How's the universe? Not doing a bad job, worried about global warning. Anyway, the reason I'm here is I want to see Tottenham go down next month. <laughs> Sorry, Steve. This is always going to happen, you know that, didn't you? <laughs> but do you know what I mean? And we lose complete reverence for God. And we start ordering him around. You will do this. Like, he's the servant. And you order him around. Reverence is gone. And Holy Spirit, devil-chasing, uh, tongue-talkers can be the worst. You know? Even that we do have to be careful. Even when we name it, claim it, and frame it. You know? I declare and I decree. Who the heck are you to declare and decree? You declare and you decreed it last month and you declared it and decreed it the month before that. And all you're declaring and all you're decreeing ain't bringing any agreement. Yet you think you can declare and decree. You don't understand who you're talking to. See, the relationship is that that Prince Charles has with the Queen. And there's certain protocol that has to take place. And in certain circumstances, what does he do? Your Majesty. I would like to introduce Her Royal Highness, Queen of England, Commonwealth, blah, 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 all the other things. That, you know, and, and there's reverence and there's decorum and so on and so forth. Other times, when it's not that sort of place, he calls a mummy. Mummy, would one like a cup of tea? You know? And it's like that with God. Yes, there's total intimacy. He's closer than a brother. But there's a reverent awe. This is God Almighty. I ain't going to come in kicking the door down, ordering you as to what you should do. Jesus didn't do it. But yet so many people now, I've decreed this. 
Well, oh, well, that's it. well, you need to read your Bible a bit because the Bible don't emphasize that in prayer. It emphasizes a humble heart and a few words and a bit of reverence. And we just have to get the balance in these things. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Amen? Our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. We cannot just click our fingers and lay down our demands. Rather, we present our requests. You imagine a child at Christmas, when our children were little, our gospel was still making money and the internet was a baby. So when Christmas time came, the kids, especially Leah, Luke, would get the Argos catalogue and start circling what they wanted us to get, you know. And they had a lovely attitude because they'd rip the page out or get the catalogue and show us, and they did this one and did that one and did and I've highlighted that one. And it's sweet and it was lovely, you know. And they presented it, you know. Dad, this is what I would like for Christmas, you know. But sometimes what we do, we do that, but we barge into heaven and we stick it up God's nose and say, I demand, get it sorted. It's true. I know I'm going over the top, but it is true. There's not a request. There's not a heavenly father. No relationship, no desire. And not even the fact of, oh, and by the way, if you don't, I'll accept your will. I want your will to be the same as my will, but if you don't, you're God, I'm not. See, imagine as a parent, if my kids come to me and barged in the front and said, right, I want this for Christmas, I know you can afford it, I know your bank balance, here you go. I'll be saying, that chance. <laughs> that will not be happening. In actual fact, you have just Cancelled Christmas. Congratulations. We won't be having one this year. Wouldn't you? You would. That's what you'd do. You wouldn't put up with that. But yet, God has to put up with it. Oh, oh, sorry, Mike. Oh, all right then, Mike. I didn't mean to upset you. I thought you'd be all right with that one, but oh, you know. We are the ones who need him. He doesn't need us. We need him. God needs you for nothing. It's a shock, but he can run the universe without you, believe it or not. Even the church, you know. He doesn't need us, but here's the greater prize. He wants us. It's one thing to be needed, it's something else to be wanted. And it's more a greater prize to be wanted than to be needed. If you are a person who needs to be needed, you will never fulfill that need. You will always need to be needed. You always will, until you can change your mentality and understand the glory of what it is to be wanted. And God wants you. Don't need you. Wants you. Amen? Wonderful. It helps us to remain spiritually pure in all circumstances to come boldly and reverently before the Lord. If we have sinned, then put it by. 
just repent. Do your bit. Put it right. If you have a right understanding in a relationship with your Heavenly Father, you will see your prayer life greatly improve and become more enjoyable. More enjoyable. God is not your judge. So many people have that tattooed on their arm, body, head, leg, somewhere. God is my judge. And he's not. He's not your judge. The Bible says Jesus is your judge because he's worthy to judge because he died on the cross. And God will never judge you because he judged Jesus on your behalf. God's days of being a judge are over. The wig has been put on the stand. He's hit that hammer for the last time. He's made his verdict. And he said he's handing all authority over to Jesus. Jesus is the judge. So all these people that see God as a big ogre with a whip ready to strike you down if you put a foot wrong. God's saying, oh, I'm redundant. It's not me. Sing to the Lord. Praise him. Sing of his name. Exalt him who rides on the clouds. Rejoice before him. His name is the Lord. As a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. Isn't that lovely? You see God's heart. And lastly, Ephesians 3 verse 14. Ephesians 3 verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father in heaven. I don't go in and kick the gates off and shundai, shundai. He says, I kneel. Humility, I kneel. Now it's all about getting excited and we pray in tongues and I'm for all of that. But it's all a part of the right attitude and balance. And he said, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know his love that surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled to the full measure of the fullness of God. Amen? And that, that comes through understanding his love. If we can understand and grasp the depth of Christ's love for us, wow, it's incredible, it's wonderful, it's all-inspiring. So the Lord's Prayer then, what did we cover? Our Father. Didn't get very far, did we? <laughs> Two words. Two words on the Lord's Prayer and that's us done for, you know. But it's so good to really understand what we're doing because it equips us and it puts focus in what we're doing. It takes away the, the sloppy sword, the feather duster that we kind of have, Father, and it puts a, a sword in our hand. We know what we're doing now. You know, you can grasp that sucker and think, right, come on, 
Now I can, I can get some business done in the kingdom because I know who I'm praying to. I know why I'm praying to him. I know his heart towards me. I know he's my father. And I can shed some of that wrong understanding or wrong notions. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray that each one of us, Father, would, would come to you, Lord, in that right manner, that right motive, the right heart, Lord God. That, Father, we would have that relationship with you that you desire, that you are the Father and we are the children. And that, in actual fact, we would stop trying to be so grown up. And we would just settle that we are children and that we're your children. Father, I thank you that you love us your grace for us is beyond measure. Your love for us is not based upon how we perform before you. Our, your love for us is based on Jesus and our acceptance of it. So we can never stand before you wrong again because he's clothed us in robes of righteousness and he says you're righteous. But Father, I pray that we would have reverence, holiness, we would be sanctified, set apart for you, Lord God. That Father, we would honour you, really honour you with all that we are. And that Lord, we would honour you so much in prayer and our mind that that honouring of you, Father, would become manifest in our daily walk, our daily lifestyle our mindsets, Lord God. That, Father, we could just simply come back to the cross. See, when we look at the cross, we glory at the suffering of Jesus, but we rejoice in the sacrifice of the Father. It's a strange feeling, Lord, to look at the cross. It's one of, it's one of deep sadness and deep joy mixed together. So, Father, I pray, Lord, as we walk through this, the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, Father, that you would bring fresh revelation for us to be equipped, for us to be powerful in prayer, for us to change things, for us to use our authority, for us to receive your favour, for us to be set free from the chains that bind the rest of humanity. If we're suffering and struggling the same as the rest of humanity, then where are we anywhere? But Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the freedom and liberty that you give us. Amen. 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 Hallelujah.